Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nothing But Locks podcast. I'm your host, Ali Melnicki, accompanied by my favorite co-worker, Robert Kowalski. Robert, how is everything going with you today? We're doing great. Thanks so much for having me on again. Of course, and we have a lot to dive into because, as you know, we have game six tomorrow night of the NBA Finals. Celtics currently are down 3-2 in the series, but we do head back to Boston and that might give the Celtics a bit of a momentum coming. We'll get to our picks later. But first, let's quickly recap Monday's game because let me ask you this, Robert. If someone told you Steph Curry would go 0 for 9 from the three-point line, what would you say? I tell you, go ahead and make any odds that you want. There's, I, I don't, there was no way I would have said to myself, if anything was going to happen that was out of the ordinary, it would be Steph not hitting a three. Right. Yeah. I was total. You would, you could have given me any odds. You could have said three to one, four to one. And I would have said, well, the chances of him going over whatever from the line. Sure. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't care what odds you give me, but then if you told me he's going to go over nine from the line and the Celtics are still going to lose that game, I'd have to look at the box score. I'd be, I wouldn't believe you, but if you do look at the box score, I mean, I think the biggest thing with the Celtics was the turnover margin. And when you have 18 turnovers in a game, you know, it doesn't matter how poorly the other team is shooting. And the Warriors shot pretty poorly, especially from the three-point line. I mean, I think they were only like 22% from the three. But it was a game of turnovers for me. And between Tatum and the rest of the starters, they just couldn't hold the ball. What, what else did you see, Robert? No, I'm, I'm not going to argue that point at all. Um... You know, when, when game five was complete and you told me that Golden State not only won with, with, with Steph Curry not making a three for the first time since 2018, Allie, 2018, yeah. not last year, not 10 games ago, 2018. And he didn't make a three for the first time in his life in the playoffs. And they'd still win by 10. So you dig deep, of course. I, I've been talking about the Celtics uh, total Achilles heel and it's their turnovers. So they had 18 turnovers versus six for golden state. Yeah. Add that up. And you, you look at everywhere else, everything else is pretty on the up and up. And then you see again, free throws yep. 21 out of 31. So you miss 10 free throws. You turn the ball over 18 times. That's, that's how you lose. There's no other way around it. You can't, you can't expect to win with those two going against you. No, not at all. And I was actually just writing my prediction for tomorrow night, too. And one of the things when I was doing my game five recap was that I did call out the free throws. And when you're 21 for 31 from the line, I mean, that's your game right there. Celtics, they lost by 10. I know a lot of it was a few points where the garbage time, but that's all the difference, even if they make five of those 10 misses. So I don't know if it was just traveling to Golden State. Maybe there was a little jet lag or whatever. But even after the game four showing, you would think the Celtics would put a little more effort into it. Now, prior to game five, I did take the Warriors. It was the one time I was like, I'm not doing the zigzag theory this time. I think the Warriors were something like three and a half or four point favorites right before tip off. But I like the Warriors to win and cover. I just don't think the Celtics play as good on the road as they do at home. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just really like the Warriors going into game five. But the Warriors really didn't do themselves any favors because, you know, besides Curry, 
Andrew Wiggins for as well as he did shoot from the field. He still was 0 for 6 from the three. Otto Porter couldn't sink a three-pointer. Draymond Green couldn't sink a three-pointer. Clay wasn't bad. He, I mean, I think he was 5 for 11 from the three-point line. But overall, Golden State didn't really do anything to put themselves in a position to win the game. What else did I miss, Robert? No, that's it. And, you know, I think that, I mean, bottom line, Celtics just played amazing D in, in this game. And, you know, they still they still lost. We, we know why. Again, turnovers, the free throws. They didn't give the Warriors any kind of good looks. And as a matter of fact, when they went into basically saying um, nothing for Curry, we're not going to give you any good look at all. We're going to make the game four on four. Anyone else but Steph. They started face guarding him at half court. They were actually even picking him up even before half court. They trapped so much more in this game. So again, Celtics defense was incredible. That to me is why Wiggins went off. Right. They gave him plenty of room to maneuver. And he, he basically had the game of his life. Uh, we could talk about his MVP odds in just a little bit later on, but Again, I, I think what's what's the things that jumped out there is that they decided that they weren't going to have uh, anything to do with Steph Curry getting any kind of points. Tatum had it, by the way, from just from an offensive standpoint, Ali, you know, Tatum, he had an amazing third quarter, yeah. you know, then, then he fell apart in the fourth. I think what happened was all of the Celtics fluidity was lost because they went into kind of like a, I don't know, it was like default mode and they just kept hunting Curry. Like everything was just find him and just go after him, whether it's on one side of the ball or the other. And that kind of took, I think, everyone out of rhythm. Horford was lost. Lost. He was lost. And when Smart got the ball, it was like so shocked. He's like, I got to shoot right now. And didn't matter if it was 18 on the clock or 17 on the clock, he just shot. So I I don't know. I don't know what happened there. At one point I said, well, you know, this is going to be it. This is where you step on the neck of the Warriors. They were, uh, Celtics were up 74-72. And I'm like, well, this is it. This is yep. where the, this is where it, it, it comes down to. And that's exactly at that point was when the Warriors completely started to take over the game. And they ended up just coasting from that on point on. Yeah, and we've been talking about all this series, how come the third quarter, it's the Warriors quarter. Like, you know, they'll put up 35, they'll put up 40. There's something about the third quarter that always goes in the Warriors' favor. But we saw the exact opposite, like you said, in this past game, because, you know, I'm looking at the box score right now, and the Celtics did outscore the Warriors 35-24 to 24 in that quarter alone. And you're right, that's when even I was watching it, and I was watching it with a few Warriors friends that were just like, if we can't pull ahead in the third quarter, the fourth quarter is a wash. Like we're not winning this game. And like you said, the Celtics, like, I don't know. It just, they didn't look like a cohesive unit for the first time. At least that I've been watching them this entire playoffs. They just look like lost. They look like they didn't know which play to run. They just didn't look like they had a sh- offensive strategy. I mean, Jalen Brown was throwing up a bunch of points. He was 0 for 5 from the three-point line. It just looked like they did not know what play to run. And I think the turnovers really threw them off because the pace really went up in the game. I mean, it was a sloppy pace because a lot of these guys were just throwing up bricks. But the Celtics don't do well when the pace is turned up. So I really think that contributed a lot. But now I don't want to reflect too much on game five because that's all I've heard about for the past 48 hours is everyone talking about it. 
So I do want to get to game six and we do head back to Boston. Now, originally in my prediction uh, before NBA finals started, I did say Warriors in six. I am going to switch it to Warriors in seven because I do think Boston does win game six tomorrow night. And it's not just the home court advantage, but the Warriors do play a little less well than they do at home. And I think that just the Boston Celtics have it in their heads. They're not going to watch the Warriors hoist that trophy on their home court. What are you thinking for game six? No, there's, there's no way that Boston loses game six. Yep. Um, we opened them as a four-point favorite, and we're actually getting really good balance action on both sides. Um, from basically the, the moment that I opened up the line after game five, total sitting around 210, that's down about a tick. Um, and we're seeing, honestly, some of the lowest scoring games uh, mm-hmm. of all playoffs right now, but that's basically what we're looking at in terms of uh, this game from a betting perspective. Series price. Well, uh, I mean, right now with the Warriors needing just one win to win the title, they are now a uh, minus 360 favorite. So, you know, quite the swing, you know, going back to the last time we chatted about the series price and when to bet, when not to bet. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking to back Boston, um, you can get them at three to one to win the title right Not now. Bad. Pretty, pretty massive uh, number, you know, knowing that they've got this game in hand being yeah. played in Boston tonight. I don't know what the Celtics need to do, you know, better, honestly. It, it, again, turnovers, just stop turning yeah. the ball over. I watched the game. I mean, look, what, what do I know, you know, during, during the heat of the moment when, you're driving to the basket and you see uh, you know, a defender in front of you and you, you opt instead of for just, just driving to the basket and, and you know, drawing a foul, uh, you know, the fadeaway. Everyone loves this fadeaway shot. And yeah, it looks amazing when it goes, but boy, that's such a difficult shot. Do you know that Tatum's shooting percentage, like the long range two, he's, he's shooting like 20% and he mm-hmm. just continues to settle for that where – it, it's odd because if he takes a three, he's like in the forties. So it, it's all a matter of what kind of a quality of a shot, you know, the, the players are taking. And right now I think Boston's got this thing where they're settling for these long range twos and it's absolutely just biting them right in the ass alley. Yeah. And you know, I'm actually happy you brought that up because we have been saying all playoffs, how, you know, all it's been, it's become a game of three pointers and guys just, chucking up threes, hoping they go, you know, taking that corner three seems to be a lot of guys' favorite shot. But when we, when we look at Boston, do you think, do you think some of the players are afraid to drive to the rim because of the whole Draymond Green effect, Robert? Uh, The Celtics? Yeah. No, absolutely not. I I think that that once they realize that this guy is just a, he's the equivalent of just like, just this, this stone statue that you have to just deal with. He's going to play his game. He's going to play rough and he's going to get in your face. But I, I think that honestly, they're, they're realizing that there's not much at all uh, that, that he can do to stop, uh, to stop the game plan. And as a matter of fact, I think that's what they're hoping for. They see more of Draymond Green on the court because when they do see him, they're able to run their offense more fluidly, in my opinion, the way I saw it. I think really the, the only thing that, the Warriors, I mean, look, we're talking about the Warriors' deficiencies. 
they're a game from the title. They're, they're one of the greatest teams that we've seen in the last 10 years uh, in the NBA. But I honestly think that if they found their, you know, their one rock, uh, you know, similar to like, you know, Robert Williams, the third, that basically puts them as an, an undefeatable force. You need to have someone that just says, okay, I'm locking down all airspace above the rim. You're not getting this. And don't even think about going into the paint because you're not going to score. And on top of that, it's not going to be a foul. Whereas Dream on Green, you know, he'll, he'll put your body on you. And maybe that's something that ends up happening is you just feel that much weight against you and you end up taking a bad two. So I don't know if it's going to be, you know, much of an effort that you know, the Celtics are going to have to do to overcome Draymond Green in the paint. They're going to have to find something a little bit different. Uh, and, and honestly, at this point, Ali, it, for the Warriors, their offense might be their best defense. Yeah, and I don't think that Curry is going to have as poor of a three-point shooting game as he did. I mean, he can't, right? He shot 0% from the <laughs> line. If he, it, I, I don't even want to know what the odds would be that he goes another over from the three-point line because I won't take it, however high it is. But, I mean, I actually have been watching a lot of these talking heads, and for as much praise as Draymond is getting – on his defense. I mean, they're throwing up stats and you can make anyone look good with any type of stat, but you know, they're showing Jalen Brown's percentage when Draymond green guards him from the three, they're showing Marcus smarts uh, field goal percentage when Draymond guards him from the three. And I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Draymond's defense. Cause I do think he's a fantastic three point player, but a uh, defensive player, excuse me. But I just think that the Celtics have always lived and died by the three since this postseason started and they're sticking with that mentality. And at the end, it doesn't matter who's guarding you from the three. If you, as we just saw with Curry, if you're off for the night, you're off for the night. And I'm just kind of appalled that they just really haven't still adjusted their game. I know they do live and die by the three. I can keep saying it, but, you know, drive to the basket and take some close shots. You know, I don't know, Robert, what do you think is, is the reason why they're just so reluctant to do that? No, I, I don't understand it either. If you want to go and, and, you know, conduct a fluid offense where, okay, let's just go ahead and just say it, you know, now the three-pointer is the most efficient shot in the game. So mm-hmm. you, you have to have every player on the court able to make one. The Celtics, well, okay, Robert Williams, you know, honestly – when he touches the ball at the top of the paint, you know, you know, he's going to pass it off. It's, it's, that's, is is his game is not taking jump shots. It's, it's grabbing offensive rebounds and putbacks, but I don't think that the offense should be predicated on, you know, finding the open three all the time, because sometimes you're going to just have such a high zone put on you that someone's just one cut away from an easy layup or a dunk. That's something that should be looked for more often. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, you know, more and more now with the Warriors game plan, because I mean, in, in, again, game five, uh, you know, Golden State shot 67% in two point shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's all from, you know, overplaying the three and having just people cut. And that was, again, Wiggins just constantly making his way to the basket and being able to finish uh, rather easily at the rim. To me, that's the best offense is, is, you know, opening up the inside of the paint with the threat of the three, uh, you know, so that you could get yourself a very easy two, not some of these, you know, uh, fade away, 
uh, meandering around the perimeter twos. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we mentioned it earlier in the show, like as great of a game as Andrew Wiggins had, he still shot 0 for 6 from the three-point line. You know, he was 12 for 23 overall, but all those 26 points either came from the three free throw line, and he only made two out of three free throws. So the rest were came from these, you know, these close shots to the basket. And that's really, I think, that if the Warriors want to keep it up, if Curry's not on his game, they're going to drive to the rim like they did. And it worked for them. But I don't know. I just don't know why the Celtics don't want to – fix their game plan and hey I get it it's worked for you this whole postseason it's gotten you to the finals but one thing about basketball is that it is a game of adjustments and we've seen in my opinion in the three Celtics losses this finals they just haven't adjusted I mean there should there's no excuse why you commit 18 turnovers a game no excuse like you need to get your offense together and they really didn't rely too much on the bench, I felt like, that game. I mean, the bench really, what, what they contribute? They went two for 11 from the field. But I think you do need to ch- sometimes rotate more of your guys in. I mean, besides Grant Williams and Derek White, they really didn't have any guys come off the bench to help them out. So we'll see what happens in game six. I'm going to stick by I like the Celtics to win and to cover the, the four points. I'm actually, even though I've been playing the under a lot this series, I do like the over for game six. Listen, I don't, Curry's not going to shoot as poorly as he's did. He's, he's due for a few three point shots. And I also think the Celtics are just going to be more efficient from the field. I mean, I don't think they're going to be giving up 18 turnovers. I think you're going to see them run more plays, take better shots. So I'm leaning Celtics minus four and the over. What's your play, Robert? Uh, my play is the Celtics don't turn the ball over 15 <laughs> times. Uh, and because of that, they win and we go to game seven. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, and I wrote to conspiracy theories aside. I know everyone's like, well, the NBA wants a game seven. Yeah, everyone wants a game seven. But I mean, this if the Celtics don't win game six, I, something has to be done to that squad. I mean, you got like there's no excuse why you can't win game six at home and you end up dropping two out of three at home. But since we both are saying that there will be a game seven, I thought we would play uh, our favorite game. Uh, guess the odds. So, Robert, let's say game seven. What I'm going to guess it first, since you are the odds maker. If we have a game seven in Golden State, I'm going to say Warriors are a three and a half point favorite. Now you see again, Ali, I, I, we got to We got to spend some money on this podcast. Where's my imaging? I need a, <laughs> a, a ring, a, like ring a bell right now because you hit the number right on the head. All right. Three, three and a half is absolutely the number uh, for games. Heck, I could put it up right now. And, and you know, honestly, uh, I think I'd get balanced action. I think the Warriors should be three and a half in game seven. Um, and it'll probably come, you know, closer towards three. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, just knowing my region and, and the, the Warrior support that I'm going to get just locally, uh, you know, and it being on the weekend. But definitely, without a doubt, Warriors three and a half to open the game up. Yeah, I, and I think that's a fair number. Um, like you said, I do. I did have the Warriors to win the whole series. I said that from the beginning. They were my even before the playoffs started. I had the Warriors winning the entire NBA Finals. I'm going to stick with that. 
What's interesting about game seven, when I look at a three, three and a half point spread, I mean, your first instinct is that these two teams are going to play close. Like this is it. Like there's no other game. Like you're either winning the championship or you don't. So in that case, man, I would really have to say, I can't even make a pick right now because I would really have to see how both teams play in game six before I would lean one way or the other. I mean, I'm going to stick by the Warriors win the whole championship, but can that be a one, two point game? Sure. We could see a last minute shot, but I would have to see, see, this is why I don't bet too far ahead in the future because I want to see what Tatum smart and Jalen Brown do in game six. I want to see how the Warriors respond. You know, everyone's waiting for, as Trey young was saying, a 50 point game from Clay Thompson. I don't know if he has that in him. I don't know if Wiggins can put up another game like that. So I really do want to see a game seven. You know, everyone wants to see a grinded out seven game series. But if it is game seven, Robert, are you sticking with your Celtics? (laughs) (laughs) I know I put you on the spot. (laughs) Allie, of course I am. I'm, I'm good, good. Always stick with your first pick. You know how many times I've switched my pick, especially to this past NBA postseason when I switched the Mavericks beating the Warriors. Always stick with your first instinct. I can't emphasize that enough. And if you do make a bet, just a side note, if you ever make a bet and then you get a bet slip and it wasn't the team you wanted to bet, don't change it. Those are the betting gods just saying, be blessed with what you got. Because I've heard learned that the hard way too, but we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> yes. But Going on with game seven, because I still want to talk about this. And we've talked a lot about the MVP. Now, going through the first five games, there's really not one player on either squad that I think is the standout MVP. And I was talking to my friend about this earlier in the day. I really think that whoever between Golden State and Boston, whichever player has the better game in these last two games, are going to run away with the MVP. What do you think? So I, again, this kind of goes towards how you handicap the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You go backwards, you say to yourself, okay, this is going to be the final score. And because the final score is this way, here's how I see it laying itself out. And that just pretty much lends you to go and daisy chain propositions together. I kind of looked at it the same way with, with uh, wagering on a player to win the NBA finals MVP. So Wiggins before game five was 150 to one. Wow. If you bet him there, congratulations. Because today he's 18 to one. And that makes a whole lot of sense. Curry, by the way, uh, was um, uh, minus 145, maybe maybe minus 150 in some places. Today he's minus 370, in some places high as minus $4 to win the MVP. So I think that if they win tonight, the Warriors, um, it's Curry without a doubt. It, it's, I think there's a massive, massive overlay on, on him winning the title. Now, if it goes towards game seven, can we really see anyone other than Jason Tatum? I mean, unless like Brown or Smart absolutely have one of those just doozies of a game where they score 40, uh, which again, in the city, so, you know, is that possible? Can, can we see something like that happen? Sure. Uh, but what's more probable, what's more probable is, is a Jason Tatum led Celtics victory tonight 
followed by a all-around good performance for the Celtics, where everyone kind of chips in and does what they need to do to just barely win. And then you kind of just figure out, if you're a judge, I'd probably just say, oh, yeah, of course it's Tatum. So the way I look at it, again, if you wanted to go ahead and just you know, do some uh, reckless speculation, you wanted to go ahead and, and just bet it into it you know, for the very first time today, Allie, you could bet the Celtics to win the title at you know, three to one, maybe plus 290, as low as 270 in some places. But uh, you can get three to one in some places for them to win the, to win the championship today. And then, uh, you know, betting Tatum at, you know, plus 450, maybe in some places as high as five to one. Um, and, and that's kind of how you, you, you put a, a gift wrap on the entirety of the whole, uh, the whole betting process, unless, of course, you, you know, you want to take a look at it from, you know, a little bit more of a long shot. So, again, Ali, if you think, let's say the Celtics win, um, not tonight, well, they, they, they lose tonight, but they win game seven. So there's a good shot. It's still Curry for the MVP, right? But where's the value in laying three, seven, or four? Could it be Wiggins? Could it be anyone else? It can't be Draymond Green, can it? Can't be Poole. So it would have to be Wiggins. Now you got a nice little price there at 18 to one, even though, yes, I know. I just said a minute ago, game five, you could have had him at 150 to one, but who saw that happening? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's Wiggins or Curry at this point, you know, before the series started, I really thought Clay Thompson would have a stellar NBA Finals. And he's been okay. You know, the first two games, he really didn't do anything. The last two, three games, you know, he, he's been solid. I wouldn't say he's been anything exceptional, but he's been solid. So I really don't see anyone that stick at, sticks out, like you said, on Golden State besides Wiggins. I think if Wiggins got, does come through in game seven, because you and I are both in agreement this is going to be a seven-game series, I still think he would have to do something spectacular to have the edge over Curry. I just feel like, you know, this is Curry's team besides game five. He's been the Warriors most consistent shooter. And I really, I'm with you. I think that it is Curry's to lose and the same thing with the Celtics. I mean, Tatum, as much criticism as he's gotten, he's really had a good series shooting wise. You know, he's, he's been consistent in that end. He has made his turnovers. There are times during the game where he does disappear, but he's been the Celtics' most consistent shooter. So I don't think it's even close on the Celtics' end. And, you know, the Warriors, too. I, I think really that Wiggins would have to do something just so mind-blowing, and Curry would have to have, like, another over for whatever from the three-point line to really edge it through. So – it really isn't as much of an exciting MVP race as I think we could have had, or we've had in recent years. I mean, I don't know how many people besides who have done the bet really care so much, but I know whoever cares on the team really wants to win it, but I don't know. I'm with you. I think it's Curry. I think it's Tatum. I really don't think it's close. I would have liked to have Andrew Wiggins at 150 to one. If I made that bet, I would be sitting pretty right now and just, hoping that Steph Curry just gets benched the rest of the, the next two games. But yeah, that's an interesting odd. So I, I don't want to spend too much more time because we, I do want to talk Stanley cup playoffs. So we are going to move to that. So just to recap, we are me and Robert both like the Celtics to win game six and to force a game seven. I'm sticking with the warriors. Robert's sticking with 
the Celtics. So one of us is going to be right. <laughs> I like those odds for one of us to be right. But um, yeah, let's move on to the Stanley Cup finals. And we do have the Lightning versus the Avalanche. I really am excited for this matchup. I think that you're going to have some very low scoring contests. I think both goalies are very good. So, Robert, what are we looking right now at the series pricing? Yeah, this is this is just great, great, great. Um, totally in my wheelhouse. And thanks so much about you know, bringing up the Cup Finals here because yep. this is um, this is just an incredible matchup where we have uh, the series now set, and the Avalanche are a minus one seventy favorite to win the Stanley Cup, plus one fifty to buy back on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, it's uh, game number one, of course, tonight. And Colorado is hosting as a minus 155 favorite for game number one. The total set at six uh, with a little bit more money coming in on the over. Uh, so that's exactly how the, uh, the game plays out from a betting perspective. Ali, boy, I mean, if we want to start off with the Colorado Avalanche, they either have like the best or worst goalie conundrum <laughs> this time of year. Right. You know, they've got you know, Darcy Kemper, uh, Pavel Frank, who's I think, honestly, there they could be an argument made for either one of them starting here in game one. You know, the, the quote, you know, the question's really going to be, you know, who's coach going to start? I mean, Kemper has been the guy, you know, he's 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 been really, really fabulous all the way from the regular season into the playoffs. You know, but uh, Pavel's you know, he's six and oh, he's he's he hasn't lost in the playoffs. So, you know, a good problem to have, I, I would say, if I'd be the coach. Um, nothing at all needs to be said more about the absolute generational talent that Tampa Bay has. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, mm-hmm. he's just absolutely just one of the greatest goaltenders I've ever seen going back for decades and decades. It's just, I mean, his clutch play is just absolutely legendary at this point. 13 career series clinching wins. He stopped 219 of 221 shots in his past eight series clinching wins. And he's the reason that the Lightning have a chance at the Stanley Cup 3 P again with against what's going to be, you know, the best offensive team in the playoffs, uh, without a doubt. You know, that that's been proven, you know, over the last few weeks without a doubt. I would probably say. We have to go ahead and, and you know break it down. It's obviously going to start from there, but there's there's so much more complexity. I, I'd love to see, Ali. You know, what's your take here on on the finals and how everything's playing out, knowing the series pricing and everything that goes into this. I'm all over Tampa Bay. I mean, I'm kicking myself because in our pool here, originally I had Tampa Bay going to the Stanley Finals and winning it all, and then. Again, this is why you got to stay with your first instinct. Last minute, I changed it that Tampa Bay would lose in the Stanley fi- Stanley Cup Finals, and I'm just kicking myself uh, for that. But I do like Tampa Bay a lot. You know, I've always been a Stamkos fan, and like you said, I just there's something about just what turned the tide for me is when they played the Panthers. Right. And the lightning just totally demolished. Like it was, it wasn't even close. The lightning just came out, swept them. And many people had the Florida Panthers winning the whole Stanley cup and the lightning treated them like they were just like a seven, eight seed in the playoffs. Now they struggled a little in the first two games against the Rangers, but you and I were both on this podcast, you know, two weeks ago saying, you know, we didn't think anything much of it. We knew the lightning would bounce back. So 
I'm all over the lightning for this one. And I actually, I don't even see it going seven games. I do think the Avalanche win game one tonight. I always like to take the home team the first game of the series. But I think that the Lightning win maybe five, six games. I'm I'm being that bold that I just think that, like you said, we have an un, un like this talent that we have in the net is just unprecedented. And I'm I'm all over the lightning. What about you? So, I mean, look, the Lightning are still the Lightning, right? You know, forget, you know, putting aside Vasilevsky, you know, they, they still have incredible stars, like you mentioned, you know, Steve Stamkos. Kucherov has been just unbelievable. Victor Hedman is one of the greatest defensemen I've seen in 10 years, and they've all made their mark on this playoff run. You know, and then they got great role players. You know, uh, Andre Palat's been great. He's got two winning goals against uh, that team that plays as Madison Square Garden that picked the series. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, Vasilevsky, you know, he's, he's w- one of the greatest I've ever seen. So very, very loaded, you know, and, and there's still a team that could beat you 5-4 or 1-0 and look just as comfortable doing, you know, all, you know either way. Honestly, I, I think if really, you look, I don't think that I'm giving enough due to, you know, the, the Colorado Avalanche, you know, uh, Kale McCarr, there's really no way you're stopping him. You could, you could slow him down, uh, you know, and, and he, you know, along with, um, uh, along with Victor Hedman, um, among the best defensemen I've seen, again, in, in, in a decade plus, you know, so I, I like to watch the bulk of them and see how they're going to quarterback their way, you know, to some really good offense, especially on, you know, the power play. So I, I honestly think, look, you know, Colorado to me, they're without a doubt worth far more than the sum of its stars. Uh, you know, McCarr, I've mentioned, he's got 22 points in 14 games. Nate McKinnon's been amazing. Landis Cog's been just been really key in, you know, how the Avalanche have been this, this so successful. Um, no, I, honestly, it, it's going to come down to, you know, how McCarr's going to be able to, run the offense because the kids he's it's literally that he's still a kid but he's just a, a generational talent and if he's going to be able to maneuver in the way that he wants to then tampa's going to be in for a, a really really tough time so honestly to me it's how are we going to find a way for colorado to solve uh vasilevsky you got to make him uncomfortable uh i too ali played some hockey back in the day. And, uh, right. you know, I, I was, uh, a, a bit oversized. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I had a really huge go- go- growth spurt easy enough for me to say. And, you know, basically my entire role was, you know, uh, on the dump, just head right for the net, screen, the goaltender, you screen the goaltender. You can't see the goal. You can't see the puck. You ain't going to stop it. And, and that's honestly what I think Colorado is going to have to make to make sure is that you got to make Vasilevsky uncomfortable, create that traffic in front of the net, cycle that puck, wear down Tampa's defense, you know, and then carve out some shooting lanes and, you know, really dangerous areas right in the slot, fire early and often, set a tone for the attack. I know, really easy for me to say here with a microphone. (laughs) Yeah, I, I just, you know what, I know Colorado's favorite in the series, but there's just something about having the experience too that I think the Lightning have, and they've been there. They know how to win. So I'm all over Tampa. And like I said, I think, you know, maybe five games is a little, I'm not giving Colorado enough credit for, 
I think Tampa wins in six. They win right in Tampa. They get to hoist the Stanley Cup trophy on their home ice. So that's my pick. What's yours, Robert? I'm going to say, look, this is the toughest series to predict, you know, to date, you know, and for the record, it's always hard to, you know, to bet against the champs. But <laughs> somehow well, I also feel like this is Colorado's year. You know, as much as I'd love to see a three yeah. You know, I'm just going to take the Avs' depth, their speed, you know, and their rest against the Lightning, you know, but it's going to be one of the most competitive Stanley Cup finals in recent memory. Yeah, I definitely hope so, because there's nothing like playoff hockey, and we really have been treated to some amazing games. Sad to see it go, but also happy to see the Stanley Cup. So, again, both you and I disagree about something (laughs) else. I I like it. But we do have a little more time left, and because I have been getting great feedback on how we devote the end of our segments to talking about some betting terms. So I thought since we are we have been talking about home court a lot, how does that affect odds, Robert? You know, as a bookmaker, when you are putting together odds and you see one team has a home advantage, whether it be home ice, home court, home field. You know, how much do odds makers factor in home court when putting together opening lines? Okay, so this this is great, right? We're going to have to go into, you know, some some deep science and just some facts as to what exactly uh, is the home court or home field advantage and, and how does it vary by sport, right? So this uh, is, you know, per a really fascinating article on Freakonomics.com. The all-time percentage of home games won for professional sports. Major League Baseball, 53.9%. NHL, 55.7%. NFL, 57.3%. NBA, 60.5%. And at the top of the heap, MLS. Wow. 69.1% of the time, the home team wins. No matter what. So just on the blind, if you wanted to just start betting home teams in MLS, you're going to win 69.1% of the time. Of course, you have to overcome that you know, beautiful thing called you know, the money line or the puck line or the goal line, but that's the basics behind their winning percentages at home. So I, I don't know. If we had to take a look at you know, what sport is most heavily weighed towards it, I, I think if you look at, I don't know, maybe like college football, for example, you know, and you see it at college football, you know, they, they have a 62.8% success rate when playing at home mm-hmm. uh, going back about 10 years. Uh, and that number jumps up to a whopping 67% when you break this down to just the BCS teams in Notre Dame, you know, so that means, especially that over the, like the last decade, you know, really the only challenger to college football teams in terms of home field advantage is MLS. Uh, you know, and then it's, as I said, it's, you know, 69%. So I, I think that if you look at just where we're at, you know, in terms of does the home team win? Yes. The, and, and that's exactly the breakdown per sport. So Ali, if we, we wanted to see, you know, what am I doing to look at, you know, honestly, I, I just look at everything from the sport first and say, how much do I want to weigh? How much more of a price do I want to add on just because this team is at home? So that's already baked in knowing it based off of the sport. Uh, And and so we can go with that baseline first, Allie. Okay. 
Yeah, that you know what? Um, that doesn't surprise me because I always say that in college, whether it be college football or college basketball, that you know, having that home field or home court behind you makes all the difference because these college fans, they're loud, they're passionate. And don't forget, you know, college football, college basketball, these are still kids playing. They're not professionals yet. So having a friendly crowd or momentous crowd behind them really does affect how you play. I don't care what anyone says. So when it does come to college basketball and football, I always lean with the home team, always. MLB makes perfect sense. I mean, there's 162 games a year. Whether When you play at home, it's not a total big difference in a three, four game series if you're on the road or on the home. Now, let's talk about some of these best times, though, to side with home underdogs or home favorites. We were discussing this last week, and I said one of the, my favorite bets I love in Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night games, whatever the pride and time game is in football, that I love taking the home underdog with the points because there's something about playing in prime time, playing on the big screen, that these teams really get amped up, and while they may not win, they will step up and play their hardest. What do you think, Robert? So I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with something that I don't think you're going to expect. All right. (laughs) Home court and how it affects odds. And the thing that I find the most impressive. Yes. Let's, let's stick with that, that really great sweet spot. The, the national game of the week, the, the game that's being televised where millions of eyes not only are watching, uh, you know, but you know, the, the stadium or arena is packed to capacity. They're breathing down whose neck, not the quarterbacks, not the point guards, the officials neck. Mm. Referees are biased in favor of home teams. This is a fact. Ooh, that's a controversial take right there. <laughs> this is a fact. Now look, I mean, officials don't consciously decide to give the home team an advantage, right? Right. To me, I think rather, you know, just being, you know, social creatures, just like the rest of us, they, they find that emotion of the home crowd. And once in a while, you know, maybe they make a call that makes a whole lot of close by noisy people very happy. So I think predominantly, you know, during the very crucial points during a game, you know, in baseball or, you know, NFL, basketball, I think some of the most convincing evidence for referee bias, you could just find where, you know, yeah, in in a sense, you know, referees could be blind. Yeah. Maybe hot take, but honestly, I think that that's where you're going to find the, the largest predicator on what affects home court odds. (laughs) You know, that makes perfect sense because, you know, and not to throw any controversial out there, but yeah, I I think that the refs really have a say and it really only takes one or two calls. I mean, just knock on the new Orleans Saints door that from that game against the Ram, the playoff game against the Rams a few years ago, where it was just that ridiculous, you know, helmet to helmet contact that should have been a first down Saints should win, but it's really one or two calls throughout any game that you can microscope. And it does make the difference. 
So you put a very good perspective on something I think people have just joked about in the past, but it is very true. And, you know, if I'm a referee and I have a stadium of 50,000, just loud, say, let's, let's go cheese heads if we're playing in Green Bay or those terrible towels flying in Pittsburgh, you bet I'm probably going to lean a little bit when it comes to giving the benefit of the doubt to the home team. So I am really glad you did bring that up. So what are some other uh, things you factor in for home court advantage, though, when you're making odds, Robert? That's <laughs> that big one. Allie, no, I'm serious. That's that's it. I keep saying to wow. myself, you know, so when we just talked a little while ago about how do we see game six going, that's why I don't see Boston losing. I don't. I don't. I just don't see it. Just like, you know, in game five, I didn't see the Warriors losing. I mean, yeah. Clay Thompson pushed off so heavily on a play oh, yeah. that anyone could have said, well, that's got to be an offensive foul. No, not only is it not an offensive foul, it's, it's, it's a three ball and it's good. So you got to look at sometimes how the officials could get caught up in the emotion of the home crowd and, and the way that the team is going to flow. I, I think that that's the biggest thing. It's not, it, it, look, so of course, you know, it, it by, by correlation. So the crowd will affect it, right? Because the, the home crowd is, is pushing so heavily for their team to win. Right. And so they get mixed up, they get assimilated all into the mix, they get into the matrix and they just say, this has to go this way, because if I don't, I'm going to hear it all night and I'm not in the mood for any of that. Right. So I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, travel causing underperformance. I don't think honestly, field conditions going to really have much to mm-hmm. do with any of this. You know, and again, you know, the other one, you know, that I looked at was, you know, home games are easier, you know, in terms of the scheduling rigor, I guess there's some, you know, some fact, but, you know, behind that, I guess that the theory suggests, you know, home games are often gentler on teams, you know, in terms of easier opponents or, you know, scheduling rigor, I think it holds some weight, you know, but only in certain circumstances, like, you know, the NBA, for example, it's visiting teams play more back-to-back games during the regular season with a little rest, you know, so visiting teams in the NBA sometimes are more tired than the home teams, um, you know, and you can look at that, you know, in, you know, when the next season begins, you know, look at the, you know, the, the number of back-to-back NBA games, you know, that, that NBA teams play each season, you know, where an average of 14 of them occur when they're on the road, you know, it can, you know, translate into one or two additional games or you're going to lose each season on the road because of that scheduling twist. Uh, you know, outside of that, you know, if you're looking in college sports, I don't think that's going to play into it all, uh, you know, where home teams, you know, play cupcake games against inferior teams, especially earlier in the season. So, you know, to me, that's it. It's the officials. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. So the audience does have something to consider when they are making the bet, you know, take a look at the spreads. There's a reason why the home teams probably always usually get the benefit of the doubt. And Robert said it right there. Referees, umpires, whatever you want to call them. Especially <laughs> in the MLS. Yes, oh man, I know there's been plenty of games that I want to just, I, I look at a bad call and I'm just left like, ugh, you just ruined <laughs> my bet. yep these guys in white and black just stripes just they forget people have money invested in this game (laughs) (laughs) of course i mean come on 
I know I've been apoplectic sometimes just like looking at a ridiculous call, but <laughs> we'll save more of those stories for more episodes because unfortunately we are out of time for today, but I hope everyone enjoys the Stanley Cup finals uh, set to face off tonight and game six of the NBA finals. Hopefully we will get get a game seven of the NBA finals because that will give us a lot more to discuss last week when we have our recap. But we do have NFL coming up, and as a better, there's nothing more I like to bet than a full slate of games on an NFL Sunday. So I am so excited to talk with everyone about that, and we will be giving some of our season previews now that training camp has started. So we look forward to that, and we will see you next week. Robert, before I go, do you have anything to add? Make sure you eat some good pizza. Oh, uh, Yeah. I know when I was in New Jersey, forget I, I've been on a pizza. I've had to abstain from pizza because the two trips I've taken to Jersey this past spring, I've eaten just a ridiculous amount of pizza at home that, and don't get me wrong. I never get tired of good pizza, but my waist does. So, and I'm just trying to lose the rest of my baby weight. So I'm like, no more pizza, no more pizza we, for a while. We, we might dedicate half an episode towards pizza one of these days. Oh, we can, because, you know, I will say <laughs> living now out in California, I do not get as good of a pizza as I do back east. And I will say, you know, and I'm a health nut, I do eat healthy, but if I'm going to have pizza, I need a slice of pizza. Forget this cauliflower crust. <laughs> yes. Forget yes. this vegan cheese. No, I, I need pizza has to be pizza. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. That's how I want to end this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope everyone orders a large pie and we say pie in Jersey. We don't say large pizza. It's a large pie. But again, we will talk about this later on. Hope everyone enjoys the game and take care. Bye-bye.